Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to your tech report. Um, uh, our next guest founded the, uh, this company called Musics in 1997. Uh, he's joining us from, I'm guessing this is your hometown, Paul. This is uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, Paul Travers, president and CEO of Musics. Welcome to your tech report. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Mark, it's a blast being here. Thank you. Yes, and I'm sitting in my office in Rochester, New York. You nailed that. <laughs> I have to ask you this question about being in Rochester because Rochester is not a big town. Um, it's not one of these places that, you know, if you think of technology and innovation, people will uh, move. I want to move to Rochester. They'll talk about Silicon Valley and they'll talk about different places like that. And the reason I'm bringing this up is not to down- downgrade where you are, but I want to ask you the question is, did you ever feel that that need to to kind of follow the, the herd or have you always kind of kept at home and wanted to stay home? Never felt like following the herd, Mark. <laughs> I mean, say you, Rochester is a unique town. It is a technology center of the world when it comes to optics. East Kodak, Bausch & Lohm, Xerox, the number of companies around here that are optics driven. Um, I have a chart that's on one of the walls in the kitchen and, or the, lunchroom here. And it is just loaded with companies that do nothing but optics technology. And guess what? We make wearable display optics laden devices. So it's a great town to be in to do this kind of stuff. So we're in the Silicon Valley of optics. There you go. Right here in Rochester, New York. And quite frankly, it's a great place to live. Well, that's why I brought it up because I know Rochester. My cousin used to live there for many, many years and there was never a desire to leave. And, and this is really more of a U.S. thing because I'm, I'm based in Canada that I find that people feel this need to go elsewhere. But when you find people who found, find, you know, create companies and keep it in their hometown and realizing that they're investing into their community and their, their kind of their roots are there. It's rare these days to find people who still want to keep that going because people yeah. tend to go where, where are all, all the, you know, the big money is, et cetera, et cetera, which is, I think, inaccurate in terms of, of growing a business. You can do that from anywhere these days. I think it's Newsweek that maybe a month ago voted views one of the top 100 companies to work at in, in the United States, across the board. Why move to the West Coast when you have such a great place and be right here, you know? So, so you got to tell me, um, Vuzix was founded in 1997. I don't think the concept of augmented reality or virtual reality uh, in 1997 was anywhere close to where we are today. So when you started, what was that first product? What was that idea that said, I need to move on from where I am currently, because I know you worked at many different companies in the area to create Vuzix? Yeah, let me give you a little bit of background. My first company, I work at Kodak Research Labs, making really cool multi-megapixel digital cameras that they would never bring to market. So I got frustrated. I left and started the business in the basement of my house making sound cards. This was back when the IBM PC just had a little beep click speaker hooked up to one of the little IO ports, right? And you could toggle the port and make it squeal. So we built a wavetable synthesizer card that had this custom piece of silicon on the card. This was back just before Sound Blaster. And I can remember Create, create yeah, I did Labs. Creative Labs, yeah. So we, I ultimately sold that business. 
it, myself and a partner of mine to advanced micro devices. Yeah. AMD put up today, everything's got a wavetable synthesizer engine <laughs> in it. Most people don't even realize it, but then I built a universal serial bus connectivity company and Belkin Corporation bought that from me. And then in 1992 or three, we, my company, Forte Technologies at the time, built the world's first virtual reality headset for the consumer marketplace. I mean, this thing was a football helmet looking thing. The visor would flip up in the front, but it had a controller for it. The headset was tracked. You could play Duke Nukem, Quake, all those really cool first person shooter games were a blast. It had quite a following, frankly. Uh, even a couple of years ago, we've had people reach out and say, can we still get the VFX one? <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy. It had a, it, it really was a cult following of a product, but it was early, obviously, in the game. The technology was all low resolution. Viewfinders out of camcorders were what we were using for displays on it. So I said, look, but this isn't going to work this way. So I'm going to restart the company. So I bought out all the outside shareholders and I started Vuzix. And our first focus was not actually in the VR side of the business. We, we put a focus in the defense space. We made this product called TacEye, which was a monocular device that you'd wear on this one eye. And then you could take a PackBot and throw it in a building. That robot would run around inside the building with the controllers that the special forces guys had in their hands. And with that, the guy could see exactly what the robot was seeing inside the building, sort of like telepresence, right? Um, then the special forces guys came to us and said, look, Paul, we carry two, 300 pounds of gear. If you think about it, these are the really the very early wearable tech guys. Yeah. 200 pounds of gear. They light up like a Christmas tree when their laptop was opened up at night. So they <laughs> asked us, look, Paul, we want to get rid of all this stuff. And I want a pair of glasses that look like Oakley's. We call it the Oakley's, the Oakley gate. And if you can do that, half the U.S. military will buy your, your, your glasses. So we've been trying to solve for that problem, Mark, from the beginning of Vuzik's. Um, if you look online, TACI, you will see that there's a pair of glasses that look like uh, roughly a pair of gun glasses. Um, and the U.S. government actually helped us a fair amount to work on the technology that goes in that. Today, we manufacture waveguides, the optics that go inside the glasses. We have the little display engines that drive them, and we have come a long ways. And in fact, at CES, we introduced a pair of product we call the Shield that look a lot like a pair of Oakley-style sunglasses. And they got eight core processors. They got 32 gig of memory in them, Wi-Fi connectivity, and the display imagery is just outstanding. So what kind of information, and we're going to jump back and forth here. Well, what kind of information, you know, because I wasn't at CES, I didn't have an opportunity to, to get my eyes on those. I will beg you afterwards to send me a pair. Um, but <laughs> what kind of information and what are we using them for today? Yeah. So we, we're we an enterprise-based company. We're, we're not really a broader market product supplier. I will say there's a lot of end users that buy our blade, which is the first pair that we came out with that had waveguides that look eh, not nearly the tech that's in our shield, but what people do with them today, they're in operating theaters. They're doing knee surgery. They have our glasses on. The glasses are looking at this superstructure that they attach to the knee. When the knee gets aligned just right, the glasses are measuring them in space and saying to the doctor, okay, that's it. Put the pins in. So the glasses connected to the digital world are looking at this stuff, measuring it, and then boom, significantly less expensive doing knee surgery. But and this is and this is in real time when they're physically there. We haven't even right. talked about the fact of being halfway across the world being able to do this, right? Well, this is the other piece. Yeah, we work with Doctors Without Borders, like Ohana One, as an example, and th these guys are experts in their field. 
and there's places around the world that need help. So these guys get on a plane. They'll fly to South Africa, let's say. They get in the hot operating theater. They got this one doctor and they try to help him through this new kind of open heart surgery, let's say. They don't have to do that anymore. They send our glasses. The glasses are in the operating theater. The doctor's wearing them. The glasses are looking down at the work. This expert doctor in New York City, he's sitting in an air-conditioned office and he's got a portal that's HIPAA compliant and he's literally zooming in like he got on an airplane, but he didn't have to. And he's seeing the view through the doctor's eyes. So the doctor's down there, he's doing the operation. The doctor in New York City takes his mouse part and he says, wait, Frank, you see this? And he'll press down on the mouse, he'll draw a circle around the particular piece of tissue that needs to get out. The doctor on the other end sees that like the doctor was in the operating theater with him in South Africa drawing or pointing to something for him. So it's, it's an amazing tool for remote kinds of help like that. You can flip that around. They're also using them experts in their particular field doing that open heart surgery. 500 other doctors are watching him do the surgery in a group Zoom call kind of a thing, just like we could have a bunch of people zooming in here with us. The same thing works the same way the other round where this doctor can teach all these other folks how to do that operation live. So today our glasses in the operating theater are being used all over the place, almost around the clock. That's one area. They're also being used for remote support just in enterprise. Like you've got a manufacturing plant and you want to make sure that it's operating right or you got to test a piece of it or you got to help somebody fix it in the field. That thing I just described for doctors works really well just for general purpose use cases. Well, of course, I mean, I could think of, you know, the engineering field uh, repairs. I mean, we had a demonstration a couple months ago and and I'll mention other, I mean, other products here. We're not going to pretend they don't exist, but, (gasps) you know, Mercedes just signed a deal with Microsoft and they're using HoloLens in their, in their, uh, and on on their technical side. So when they need a help desk, instead of calling someone and trying to figure out and going through manuals, it's all, it's all in the cloud. They throw on the headset, they can see what they're seeing and they can work on stuff together. Um, Mark, this is where the metaverse really gets exciting. Yes, quite. it is. It is. Uh, it's not. Yes, you can take the blue pill, put the glasses on, VR headset, and step into the matrix. And there's people that are going to be more than happy living in that metaverse. But when you can take the metaverse and bring it into the real world, it changes everything, and it's going to be ubiquitous. It's the well, it's the future of computing, right? I mean, it, it absolutely is. And you know what? This week is kind of interesting that we're talking about this because. Um, and the news this week is it's the 15th anniversary of the introduction of the iPhone. And um, we've had a lot of conversations on our various shows about the significance of that announcement. And, and I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, because having found this company in 97, that was 10 years before the iPhone even existed. So there was a lot of things that you had in your brain going on before, you know, some guy named Steve Jobs hopped on a stage and talked, spoke to consumers. But that being said, a lot of people are saying that today's technology can all somehow be mapped back to that announcement of the iPhone. I have a feeling you might think that's a, a little bit differently about that because there's been technology that's been around and you've been putting this to the test way before that was even announced. Yeah, I mean, the iPhone is an amazing piece of kit. Be the first guy to say it, right? The modern phone is. And it's brought together and brought forward a lot of stuff, but it is not necessarily the founding father of everything. I mean, the founding father of everything goes all the way back to even mainframes that were just, you know, the size of complete rooms that had yeah. to be air conditioned. 
it just happens to be that all of this stuff is shrinking and getting smaller and you can do more and more in a handheld device. But that handheld device is paving the way for augmented reality, AR kit, AR core. I mean, they see that when you hold the phone up and point the camera down the street, you can do a lot of stuff. Pokemon Go is just one simple example. Yeah, exactly. But all of that stuff is being designed for a pair of glasses. Uh, I think, I mean, it's just the nature of getting smaller. And what's happening now is the need for people to be able to interface with the information that's in the metaverse as it relates to the real world is driving a lot of use cases that people never would have thought were even possible. So yeah, I think the iPhone is amazing and it is on a path that's helping pave the way to augmented reality and the metaverse, and, but it's, it, it's not necessarily the seed point for all of it. That's for sure. Now you, you know, your company is V2C. So you're, you're dealing with enterprise, you're dealing with major corporation. Is there a side of you that says, I, I want to talk to consumers a little bit, or do, are you leaving that to other people to kind of let, let you be an example to them on how to do it properly? <laughs> and maybe license some IP down the road while they're at it. <laughs> yes. Well, we got a great intellectual property portfolio, Mark. We know how to do this pretty well. Uh, we're on a path to get to full color, slimmer and trimmer. The stuff that Qualcomm's doing these days in silicon is absolutely amazing. And there is no doubt that all of this is headed for the broad, broad use consumer across the platform. So you, you can imagine that Vuzix is going to play there. But whether or not it'll be a Vuzix branded solution or something with Vuzix's technology in it that's branded by other companies, I, I mean, I, I am sure that you'll see some sort of more broad use case solutions coming from Vuzix, but the mass market side of it, the consumer side of it, it's probably going to be done with partners. And in fact, we're working with partners today. They're buying pieces and parts. I mean, the waveguides that are in these guys, they're hard to make, and we make really good waveguides. The display can, can you, sorry, can you define what a waveguide is for the audience who, who has no idea what you're talking about? Yeah, and since we don't have pictures, <laughs> I'll try to do it. I'll try to do it with description. Imagine if you take a piece of glass or plastic that's a millimeter thin. So that's quite thin. It's as thin as reading glasses, kind of a thing, maybe thinner even. Yeah. And imagine that if you could take a display, like a little mini projector display, and inject an image into the corner of that flat window. That's the size of a lens of a pair of glasses. So you, you got a pair of them, left eye, right eye. It's this flat thing. There's little nano structures on the surface of it where you inject light on the one corner that's by your temple. The, the light hits that and it bends it inside the plate. So you got this one millimeter thin plate and that image is bouncing towards your eye. When it gets near your eye, there's another nano structure on the surface that allows the light to leak out in front of your eyes. And it gives you an experience of the heads up display on a fighter pilot's cockpit, but in a pair of glasses. So there's two pieces to this, the waveguide, that thing I just described. We design and manufacture those here in Rochester, New York. We have our own nano replication equipment. We have our own tool equipment that creates the tools for that equipment. And when you're all said and done, you have a, this waveguide that's the size of a lens of a pair of glasses. These little nanostructures that are 100 nanometer deep, 300 nanometer pitch, you can't see them. When you're looking at the thing, it's like, you can kind of see it if you hold it in the light just right. All that stuff is manufactured in Rochester. So you get these really thin, beautiful optics that allow you to make a display float out in front of you. The other piece, somehow you got to make a display to drive this thing. And this is also where Vuzix works. Micro LEDs are coming. People have heard of OLED. Those are the things that are like on your phone and your home TV sets. They're beautiful, yeah. right? But 
they're relatively large pixel sizes, you know, 15, 20 microns in size, sometimes bigger. Our, our displays are one micron. They're little teeny tiny things. And it's hard to do that with a micro LED and get a couple of million nits out of that pixel. But micro LED, you can get 2 million nits of light, super, super bright, right? And I can make a million pixels in something the size of a grain of rice. And that this is what we showed at CES. Our shield glasses uses this little tiny display the size of a grain of rice. I will show it to you here and then describe it. You see this little tiny thing right here? I do, yes. At the bottom of that cylinder that's smaller than a pencil eraser is a grain of rice display that puts out 2 million nits of light. It's quite amazing, actually. And then this engine is a Vuzix display engine. You put these things together. You've got this pencil eraser that sticks into the corner of a waveguide. And you got a pair of glasses that are like the heads-up display in a fighter pilot's cockpit. It's amazing tech. It's taken years to get here. That's hence 1997 when we started. Yeah. But it's all coming together to make these glasses that are the Oakley Gate, quote unquote. Now, really, <laughs> I, the, I guess the biggest part of the glasses. I mean, when you when you look at them, because you were holding up the uh, before the camera, I really is, is is probably one of the biggest components that adds a little bit of bulk to it. And I guess when you look at the side, when you look at the arm of the glasses, there's a little bit of extra weight there. I guess that's obviously to support battery power, right? It's batteries and processors. Uh, this is an eight core processor. Are you thinking your phone? Right behind the display of your phone, there's a lot of electronics and battery. That's tons of room go- there in comparison, right? Yes, and yeah. there's tons of room there. But we have to, so we have to fit all that in these temples. That said, that stuff is shrinking too, Mark. It's over the next couple of years. It's going to be amazing. The silicon that comes out of some of the partners that we're working with that that makes that profile even get trimmer. But yeah, if you look at the front of our glasses, there's a pair of cameras in this set set for stereo imagery for doing metrology, looking out and measuring the space in front of you, spatial computing kinds of things can be done with those camera pair. And they're in the temples and you can kind of see they're there. Then the little displays, but if those, if the displays were the only things there, you'd be hard pressed to tell there was anything in the corner. Yeah, I know that's, that's, that's why I said they added bulk. What about yeah. things like, you know, uh, and, and, you know, buzzwords like LIDAR and, and sensors, uh, you know, of, of that nature, are those things that you're taking advantage of as well, or do you not even need to because of the other technology that goes behind it? Yeah, no, I think ultimately LIDAR is going to be a piece of kit that will be part of ours. I, it's, it's an important thing to get low power ability to measure and get a point cloud for the space that's in yeah. front of you and, and light, but nothing's small enough yet to go in a pair of glasses Vuzix is making. We learned early on in the game that if you make big, bulky, heavy stuff that can't be worn all day, they really don't have the kind of use cases that we're looking for. We have people that are using our glasses shift after shift in warehouses for pallet packing and for picking and you know, it's a hands-free version of a barcode scanner. Yeah. So you can pick something up. And if you're packing pallets, by way of example, the glasses know every single thing that's going on that pallet. So you don't put the cornflakes at the bottom and the water on top so that when it gets to the store that the cornflake boxes are all busted up and nobody wants to buy them, right? So the glasses, and so a brand new guy, never packed a pallet before, can do it with our glasses on. So they got to be lightweight, though, to get through an eight-hour shift. If you give somebody a pound and a half device that runs for an hour and a half and the batteries it's problematic so these we've always been trying to make the lightweight which is why we're not putting lidar and all this other sensor tech in our stuff today it's it's light slim trim but all day usable and there's a lot of use cases right now that are just starting to crank up 
That's absolutely insane. Um, you know, Paul, I, I'd love to keep you longer. I know we, we've been talking for a half hour already. What, you know, if people want to learn more about the company, obviously there's the website, musics.com, um, and there's lots of really cool demos when people check out, you know, the stuff that you were showing at CES. Um, you know, from your point of view, just not only from your company, but is this technology, is this something that we're going to start seeing on the consumer side of things realistically in the next 10 years? Is it shorter than that? Like, is it my lifetime or am I going to be one of those flying car things I'm going to be waiting for my kids to see? Dude, it's it's going to happen and it ain't going to take no 10 years either. The, the stuff that we're doing today, some consumers are buying. Um, we know what some of the bigger companies are working on and some of them are working with us. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they're taking the cautious approach of just there's no displays in them yet. There's, you know, just a camera kind of a thing. But it's only a matter of time, Mark, and it's not that far out. I mean, you have to admit our shields, who, who are just made by little musics here, are pretty compelling devices. Yes, absolutely. And, and like I said, some of the stuff that's happening in some of the silicon suppliers to us is pointed right at making the real world and the metaverse collide on top of each other. The technology for displays is getting better and better. The optics are getting better and better. Everything's shrinking down. Yeah, the next two to four years is going to be amazing what changes it's not going to be like vr that took 30 years to finally get here paul travers uh thank you so much for taking the time to join us this is not the end of our conversation i promise uh it is your tech report stick around we'll have more after this you've been tuned in to your tech report be sure to follow your tech report online email us contact at yourtechreport.com follow us on twitter at your tech report like us on facebook.com slash your tech report for the latest in breaking tech news and reviews yourtechreport.com Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.